Good morning. Pastor Trevor's right. It was nice to see the Lord turn on the air conditioning outside this morning. It was great. Uh, good to see all of you. If you're online, welcome. Good to have you. And those of you here in the sanctuary, um, good to have uh, you here this morning. We had a great 8.30 service. We're looking forward to having a good one in this service as well. Um, uh, my wife will tell you that um, when I... Uh, well, first of all, I notice uh, when I'm riding down the highway, I notice... Every animal, when I go running, I have interactions. I've had good ones and bad ones. I had my good ones with dogs, bad ones with dogs, uh, you know, uh, nearly hit by a deer at least a couple times to come out of nowhere on some of my runs. This week I had two uh, interesting ones that were, well, one of them wasn't a new one, but uh, I come around a corner and there was no one out. It was early and it's me and a squirrel <laughs> and he's got a gigantic tortilla chip in his mouth. I kid you not. <laughs> And because there was a trash can and someone had put a bag of Chipotle chips that they didn't finish and he found them and he was, it was early and I busted him and he just had this entire chip. I mean, it was, it was, the chip was almost as big as, way bigger than his head. It was like out and he just stopped and he froze and I stopped and we were staring at each other. I, true story. I'm like, what do you, I literally talked to him. I said, what is in your mouth? And he looked at me like... Just had this face, like his eyes, like, and he didn't budge. And then I said, I got to keep going. So I take a set. He runs up three, did not give that chip up. He kept it. it. Then on the way back from our offsite, uh, we're riding down the road, and this snake comes across the road. My wife, big old snake, and I tried to avoid it. I swerved this way. He went and he got the other tire. There's one less snake in the world uh, now. So. <laughs> My wife was with me, and I said, I took that as, we, he shall trample the serpent underfoot. So, Because uh, I even tried to avoid this. I tried to give him his life, and I, like, swerved this way, and he went that way. And, like, that was, a, that was not a speed bump you just felt there. That was the end of a snake. So, um, anyway, the animals are enjoying the heat. Uh, they're doing just fine. You know. But good to, uh, good to be here this morning. A couple of things. Uh, Trevor had a very short list. I have a couple of things to cover, and I mentioned that I have a Pretty big announcement this morning, and no, I'm not leaving. So I uh, actually had a couple people. <laughs> I actually had a couple people ask me that. I'm like, I no, whatever gave you the impression? I, am I acting like I want to leave? Because <laughs> uh, I'm I'm not. I plan on being here a long time if the Lord would have me. So uh, anyway, that's not it. But uh, first thing, the Guatemala team, uh, they uh, left at 6 a.m. on this past Tuesday. Uh, they're there till this Tuesday. So keep praying for them. I mean, it's a, it's a long week when you go do something that's way outside of your norm. Uh, they're long days. Uh, your adrenaline's high. You're giving out as much as you possibly can. They're doing evangelism. They're doing work projects. Uh, they've texted me even this morning. I texted them back and said, we prayed for you guys. We'll pray for them again this service. Uh, but they're doing great. Derek, Javon, uh, Joni, uh, Enoch, the whole team. Uh, so God is using them. So keep praying for them, and thank you for uh, keeping them in mind and supporting them. Uh, they feel your prayers, and they're asking for them. So they'll be serving today in the church service uh, that's down there, uh, but they're being used in a big way. So what's kind of cool is you'll see on the team, uh, you know, Joni is in the retired age, but she's got incredible energy. Um, she's just a, a great servant, works with Samaritan's Purse. She's down there. She's, she's the elder states 
person of the group. Uh, Derek and Stacy are late 40s, close to my age or something, early 50s, I don't know, but somewhere in that range. Uh, and then you've got five that are under the age of 25 there. Isn't that great to see these young people yeah. serving the Lord? So Javon's newly married, and uh, him and Bree are still in the honeymoon phase, and he's already back down there serving. So there's five under the age of 25. And then uh, that brings me to uh, my next um, uh, just thing that I want to touch on, and that is we've got a young man in this church, uh, Jaden. Uh, he recently graduated from Midlothian High School. Uh, I love when I see young people that want to serve the Lord. When I graduated from high school, I didn't even know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I had a lot of things in mind, but serving the Lord was not in that list. I didn't get saved till 26. So uh, seeing these young people under the age of 25, all of the, in the previous that are down in Guatemala this morning serving, Jaden's going to be headed. We had 10th hour project here uh, back in the spring, I want to say late April, and uh, we had them here. And while they were here, uh, you know, he met a lot of the college-age kids and uh, those that are a part of the current term, which is a nine-month term. And they'll do th they what they do is um, three months there of intensive Bible study, discipleship, apologetics. Then they go out on the road for six weeks and do evangelism all around the country. Then from there, uh, half the team goes to Peru, half the team goes to Uganda, and uh, then they serve there uh, for um, what is it, eight weeks or something like that. But So they're there, I can't remember the exact, but then they come back and they have a two-week debrief and then they go back to their home churches or back to college or back to their work or whatever is they're doing. But hopefully they serve the Lord the rest of their lives. As several have now been called into full-time mission. Several have gone into full-time ministry. Others now have been married but are in godly relationships. And so God is using it in a great way. So Jaden just graduated from Midlothian High School, and he has decided to take this gap year and go do this nine months. So I'm going to invite him and his dad up here. We're going to pray over him. I told the first service, we recently had one of the strength coaches from uh, one of the universities here in town start attending here, and he took a look at Jaden and goes, he should be on the rugby team, right? There. You know, uh, you know uh, big, strong kid, but uh, he's, he really has a heart for the Lord, and uh, you know, it's just exciting to see that he wants to go do this. And, but he needs support. Uh, you see up, we've got a little link there that will be on our internal Facebook page. If you want to uh, help him in any way, they do need, um, you know, it has to, you have to be sponsored. And they allow you to kind of enroll even before all your sponsorship is in because Pastor David there in New Mexico, which the program is in New Mexico, and then they launch out from New Mexico. But uh, they, they desire to have the kids, uh, the young people come, even if they don't have a penny at the time. It's all by faith, and so God usually uh, provides everything that's needed. But if you want to help in any way, he doesn't go till the 19th. Um, and you know, I wanted to personally, I, I won't be here the Sunday before he leaves, so I wanted to personally uh, pray over him myself and uh, got to know John uh, and Diani, his parents, and uh, so we just want to pray over him, and if you can pray with me, that God will use this time. Lord, we just thank you for uh, Jaden. We thank you for his uh, relationship with you. We thank you that he knows you as Lord and Savior, and Lord, now not only does he know you as Lord and Savior, but that he desires uh, to know you more, to grow in your grace, uh, Lord, to grow in your word, and to, uh, to share the gospel, and to go see other parts of the world and share the gospel there. And we just pray that not only him, but all the rest of the team that will be gathered there uh, in August, all those that will be joining 
uh, his semester, uh, his module. Uh, Lord, that they would be filled with the Spirit. We pray for John and Diani and their whole family uh, while they're apart. Uh, Lord, that uh, you would just be with them. Give peace to the family. Lord, provide uh, the finances that are needed for this sponsorship. And uh, we ask all these things, believing you're going to do great things in New Mexico, around the country, Uganda, Peru, and beyond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for praying. Yeah. Good stuff. You know, it was when he was five years old. Really? His dad just told me he said at five years old he was going to be a missionary. So that's awesome. Praise the Lord. Your family's been a great addition. We've been blessed to have you all come and... Yeah, his dad speaks Portuguese, his mom speaks Spanish. I used to speak Spanish and Portuguese, right? But, uh, yeah, so, see, muy bien. But it's great to see God doing these things and raising up these young people, the ones that are in Guatemala. Uh, Jaden headed out, and we hope others will join you. I know that the Scott's, uh, uh, your daughter did the Dulos program, which was great. You know, we had Mike Skillman and Cedar Ranch here. Just all of those things, they matter to the Lord, so... Uh, In a a time where many of our young people are being just led away by this world into all kinds of things, we're seeing a little opposite turn here, aren't we? So it's a great great thing to see. So we want to go against the grain. Uh, Switching total gears here. Uh, I'm not leaving, but I am leaving for three weeks. So, uh, but I'm not leaving, uh, just coming back in three weeks. Um, so the next three weeks, uh, Pastor Trevor will share next Sunday, uh, my good friend, Pastor Tito Torado, down at Coastal Church. Yeah, you guys know Pastor Tito. He'll be sharing. And then Mark Siena, whose daughter Amy's sitting on the front row over here. Yeah, so uh, many of you have probably, I think Pastor Mark is in worship next Sunday, right? I think they, he's, you guys are all part of the worship team next. So he's, uh, Mark and Christine have joined our uh, rotation of leaders under Tawan. And by the way, Tawan is away with Sharonda celebrating 25 years of marriage. So that's where they're at. So if you see them when they get back, they left, I think, Thursday, and they won't be back. Their anniversary is this coming Tuesday. I think they get back Wednesday. But uh, they are away celebrating 25 years of marriage, which is this coming Tuesday. It's the big day. But, um, uh, but anyway, uh, they have... Pastor Mark has joined the rotation of uh, Jackson and Gary and Phil and Tawan and uh, Mark leading worship, but uh, that's that's his secondary skill. He was actually a pastor for over 20 years in upstate New York, and he uh, retired, what, like six months ago, something like that, retired six months ago, uh, not to serve the Lord, but just to do it in a new capacity, and, uh, and he's about 20 years my senior or somewhere in that range or 15 years or so ahead of me. And so he has uh, moved here to Virginia, be closer, but still wants to serve the Lord and is doing it worship. And so I'm pulling him off the bench to teach. uh, And so he's gracious enough to do so. He'll be teaching uh, the last Sunday before I come back. And so I'll be taking the next three weeks, in addition to getting one week of vacation, a little bit of rest, getting our youngest daughter uh, moved in, our middle daughter moved into a new place and uh, to two away to college and all of that stuff and try and do... Some of the lifts that I've been working on for the last 10 years, which I've been just too busy, uh, just too many things going on. So I've been doing this for 15 years, and I, I, I've learned every year I get older, I need a little more reset than I did before. So it's just happening. 
So uh, at, at any rate, these guys have been great to give me the, the rest, which I'll be taking some of that. And I think uh, since back to Thanksgiving, I think I took a day and a half off in February for my birthday slash just get away, and then two days in Georgia, and then back. So it's, I'll just take a block uh, the first three weeks of August. So keep coming for these. These guys are going to bless you. Uh, Pastor Trevor will have a communion Sunday next Sunday. You'll, the Guatemala team will be back. You're going to want to hear Pastor Tito and Pastor Mark. I mean, you're going to be blessed by a man who's been teaching for over 20 years. So, uh, and, pa- and then uh, in one of the Wednesdays, Tawan is teaching one of the Wednesdays. So we've got uh, everything lined up. So that's what's taking place over the next three weeks. And I appreciate you guys uh, just encouraging them. And then uh, on Friday, we got away for one day. Uh, we did an off-site, uh, which is a long day. Uh, these guys had to shift out of their... Uh, normal uh, work mindset to think about. We basically talked about every single ministry area, prayed over each other, prayed over this church, prayed over missions, prayed over ministry areas, um, and just did a lot of uh, prayer planning and preparation, which we do every end of July for the coming year. So we look ahead to finish out this year. Uh, before you know it, it'll be Christmas Day. I mean, it'll be, it'll be here fast. Uh, uh, time when it's tough, it goes slow, but yet it's always moving fast, and you're like, how did I get this age this fast? You know, all of that's happening. So we have to kind of look ahead, and uh, we also kind of take a look at how things are working and what's, uh, what needs to be tweaked, and where do we need to get more servants here, and how do we better support this area, and how do we encourage these uh, folks. And so uh, I'm really blessed to the, for the deacons and elders that we have, and their wives. I mean, their wives come, and we want to uh, refresh them as well. So in that one day, and then we had dinner together that night, and then it was right back home on Saturday when I ran over the snake. That's, uh, that's how that went. So, uh, but uh, all of that was Friday, and so thank you for your prayers. And I announced to them what I'm about to announce to you. So I had to tell them first, and then I'll tell you. And if we had a drum roll, I don't, but, uh, but I'm not going anywhere. That's not quite the opposite. But someone is coming here. So... So uh, I, I, had the, I had the honor of marrying and do, do, officiating the wedding of Lee and Zach, I guess 10 years ago or so. Um, I forget how long ago it was, but uh, you might even remember better than me. 12 years ago? 12 years ago. Okay. It all runs together for me. I've done a lot of weddings, a lot of funerals, a lot of other things. But there's this really special, really important uh, had a chance to uh, do the wedding. I knew Lee before I ever knew Zach because she met him. Uh, in a missions uh, organization. They're working outside of Atlanta, ministering to people from the Middle East there. That's where she met Zach. Then he came up, and I met him. And, um, uh, you know, he just, uh, at at first, we didn't even really click. And then he eventually really started to kind of embrace me and and learning from me. And I learned from him, too. Uh, He's like 12 years younger than I am and such. But but nevertheless, uh, I had a chance to do their wedding. I've seen them grow in the Lord, and they, t- they took a huge step of faith to kind of walk away from both of their jobs, and she was in education, and he had uh, trained at Mississippi State for something completely different. They left all that to go serve the Lord in India, and they've served uh, all this time in India for the last 10-plus years, over a decade, and, uh, and it was a lot of tough soil, and for a long time, there was very little fruit, but now... 
they finally have uh, six to eight people there when there was just the two of them that can take over and even expand it beyond there. And uh, I've never tried to convince Zach to leave the foreign mission field to be a pastor in the United States, nor uh, has he ever tried to say, hey, I'd rather be in the United States than here. Uh, But the Lord was speaking to him, the Lord was speaking to myself, and over time, over the last 18 months, we've had various conversations, we'd check back, pray, if it's of the Lord, we'd go that route. But only if it was the Lord, and it had to be a lot of yeah. a lot of things. It was threading a lot of needles to even have any of it work. And uh, But they have a piece about it, so they'll be back. September 18th, they fly back, and then he goes back for another month in the middle of the fall, like October 20th through November 20th, to go back and help the team some more. He'll be doing a lot of Zoom calls with them from January to July of next year. And um, But early 2024, we hope to bring him fully on staff. Uh, with myself and Pastor Trevor. And I told the first service, um, this is a huge step of faith for them. Zach and Lee, uh, I think they have more faith than I do 90% of the time, but uh, uh, they take big steps of faith. Uh, it was a big step of faith when I left and the church could not take me on, and we did it anyway. And still and behold, God says, when you take the step, the bridge will appear. Uh, and so we took the step, and all of a sudden the bridge appeared. Then we like did it with Pastor Trevor. The, the math did not add up. You cannot live the Christian life according to a spreadsheet. Um, uh, so we looked at it. It didn't make sense. But the ministry needs were so big. So we said, if he's willing to take the step of faith, he left a really good job at Capital One uh, for less everything. And, uh, and then the bridge uh, was there. And uh, next year, God took care of everything. So here we are doing it a third time uh, with Zach and them coming back. But they have no house, no car. So we'll talk about all those things when I get back in, in August, um, You know what we can do to potentially as a church, uh, get ahead of some of those things. Uh, but just be praying. Right now it's just prayer and just be praying for them. They're excited, a little bit afraid, excited, afraid all at the same time. And, uh, and, I, and I feel a little bit of that with them. But nevertheless, we know God has orchestrated it. We, wouldn't, we would not touch this with a 100-foot pole if we knew God didn't put it in our laps. So, yeah. so that's why we'll do it. Amen? Yeah. So are you excited about that? That's good news, right? And, you know, Zach will certainly help with everything from teaching to he's fantastically gifted together as a team and discipleship and helping with our home fellowships and discipleship. And uh, and then they'll have a connection to our foreign missions where I think all of our missionaries will be glad that Zach will be here because he'll actually he'll probably go away a little bit, uh, you know, three or four times a year and actually be with them. And he knows exactly how to... Uh, minister to them. He has a gift of her languages and stuff like that, too. So we're excited to have them join uh, the team. So that is the news, and so hopefully it's really good news. And I know Lee's dad's probably happy that you know, the grandkids are permanently here. So he, that, those are their grandparents. Uh, and good night. Mark left New York just to be near the grandkids, right? So we, we know how important that is. Uh, we're going to pray for revival now for our country, which desperately needs it. And we'll pray for the nation of Mali and Africa while we're at it. Just for the sake of time, you don't have to get on your knees this morning. We had a little extra there, but all good stuff. And it's not, again, uh, arguing on our knees is not legalism. It is more of just a heart saying, Lord, we're humbled. And, 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 and I know that you are, and I know I am. So let's pray. Father, we, we humble ourselves before you in our hearts. We thank and praise you, Jesus, that uh, you have saved us. Lord, we're not deserving of your mercy and your grace, but you've been so good to us. 
And Lord, we just want to give our lives back to you. And we just ask that, Lord, uh, as we know from Psalm 119, nine times it says, revive me. And Lord, we pray that you'd revive us this morning. Uh, in Psalm uh, 1, I believe it's 122, it's preserve me, Lord, that you would revive us, that you preserve us. But Lord, uh, to do that, Lord, we know we need you to wash and purify us again this morning. So we ask, Lord, that you'd cleanse us of our own sins and our own iniquities and our own blind spots and our own, Lord, just habits and resistance and rebellion. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we ask that you'd purify this church, each individual. Lord, we, we can't pray for a lost and dying world unless you, Lord, put us in the right, uh, right place and set our feet straight, set our hearts straight and our minds straight. Lord, we pray for our nation, which the, nation, the mind of this nation is not straight. It is a double-minded nation, Lord. It is a nation full of idolatry and immorality and rebellion. And uh, Lord, we pray that uh, you would turn the hearts of those that don't know you, uh, whether they're in office, whether they have power, whether they have wealth, whether they have nothing, Lord, we pray that you would bring a work of repentance and conviction of sin and a turning to you. We thank you, Lord, for the young people, the young people in the church that are giving their lives to, to, for you, for, for Jaden, to those that are down in Guatemala right now, for those that are serving, Lord, right here in Richmond, for those that are coming to our uh, young adult studies on Mondays, uh, but not just the young people, Lord, the middle age, uh, those that are up in years, Lord, those that are growing in your grace, we pray that we would see much more of a harvest. We pray even as you bring Lee and Zach here that, uh, Lord, it would be a, a sign that you'll let, you're going to do more, that more souls are going to be saved. We're going to need more people pulling in nets that are full of fish. And so, Lord, that this is uh, the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in your sight. And so, Lord, we pray that uh, you would bring a, a harvest of souls in our city and revival in this church and all the churches, Lord, that pulpits that aren't preaching the Word of God would return to preaching the Word of God. There would be repentance in both pulpit and pew. And, Lord, we also pray for uh, the nations around the world, specifically for Mali and Africa. Lord, we pray that there would be a great outpouring of your spirit of revival and repentance in that nation and in all the nations. Lord, we pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters, Lord, that you'd rescue them return them to their families. Lord, just give them your peace in the most difficult of places. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You don't have to return to your seats because you're already in them, but <laughs> grab your Bibles. Uh, Acts chapter 4. And I don't know, the next three weeks, the guy might be, they might not have you because Pastor Tito doesn't know that we do the, well, he does know, but he'll forget not his routine, and Pastor Mark may not. So you might not have anyone ask you to go on your knees for the next three weeks, or they might surprise you. I don't know. But uh, we want to continue to finish uh, where we left off from last week. So we were up to verse 31. Uh, I'm going to read verse 31 again, even though we covered last week, because it, it 31 kind of flows into the results that we see in verses 32 through 37. So Acts chapter 4, starting verse 31, which we covered a week ago. I'm not going to cover it, but I just want it to be transitional. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Verse 32, now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, neither did anyone say that any of the things that he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. 
nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each one as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's pray again. Lord Jesus, you who gave Luke the impetus and the inspiration of the Spirit to write these things, you who orchestrated the shaking of that room and the filling of the Holy Spirit, you, Lord, who changed the hearts of 5,000 in a moment, Lord, you who did all these things, we pray that in our presence your Spirit would speak by your word to us, your servants. Lord, that we would have open ears and soft hearts, and Lord, you would refresh us and renew us and remake us, Lord, into your image as we study your word. We pray that if anyone here doesn't know you, they even today would be their day of salvation. I pray for your anointing and your help, for I could never do this without your help. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. We talked about last week uh, all that had taken place in less than 24 hours, and, and we know that so many things can change in 24 hours, for good or for bad, uh, in your life. And in le- a lot less than 24 hours, less, le- less than a minute sometimes. Uh, what had not changed, and praise God that it hadn't for the apostles, was their dependence on Jesus. Which is a really good question to ask ourselves. Are we dependent on Jesus? Are we really independent I want to be dependent on Jesus. How about you? Not independent. For the apostles, they were just as dependent on Jesus as they were when he was physically with them for that three years that they walked with him. Only now, their dependence was through the Holy Spirit. And that's what you and I have. We have the Holy Spirit. Our dependence on Jesus is through the Spirit who is our mediator. He is the one that uh, gives us the power of Christ living within us. And, And the Spirit was that power and help that Jesus promised. And it was through the daily simplicity of teaching and exhorting and practicing what Jesus had taught, essentially pressing into the commands and instructions of Jesus, that they were growing in the Spirit. And the Helper the Holy Spirit was blessing their love and blessing their obedience to Christ. So uh, what happened back in Acts chapter 2 with that outpouring and 3,000 saved uh, happens yet again as we saw in Acts chapter 4. And those that uh, are coming to Jesus, they, they don't just uh, pray a prayer of faith and repentance, but they immediately, after they've prayed and after they've repented, they immediately begin to follow the priorities and the practices of the apostles. They were basically, you know, um, some of you have been school teachers. Don't you love when you have students who will actually do what you say? Yes. Or if you're a coach, you have, you, have, you have players who will actually do what you say. The apostles had new disciples that actually would say, what will you have us to do? And Peter and John would say, this is what Jesus taught us. And they would say, we'll do that. As opposed to, why does it have to be like that? <laughs> Why can't we do it this way? I mean, they, they really were those that embraced what was taught. So they began to become disciples themselves, and they committed to living first unto Jesus and fulfilling the will of the Holy Spirit, not their self-will, but the will of the Holy Spirit. So if you're taking notes, you see this morning the title, 
the Spirit-filled church. The Spirit-filled church. We'd all agree that there are churches in this town and around the country that are full of people. Some are full of money. Some have way better finances than we do. Some are full of activities. Some are full of fun. They have way more fun. They have awesome fun. Why can't we have that much fun? They're full of amazing music. They're full of ministry areas. They're full of ideas. They got more ideas than you have thoughts. And the list goes on. That does not mean they're filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean they're not. I'm not. I, there's, there's, there's big churches. I mean, Chino Hills is a big church. I believe it's quite filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's tiny churches that are as dead as a doornail, and there's tiny churches that are alive. There's medium-sized churches that are dead and alive. And it's so, but the activity doesn't mean, and Jesus made this clear, the activity doesn't, it's not the real barometer. It's what's happening in the heart. Amen. They may or may not be filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, I, I know churches of all sizes, I would say, fill the Spirit. Eh, that one I, not, I'm not going there. You know, false teaching or diluted or whatever it may be. Ultimately, Jesus makes the judgment. As he does when in, in, in his examination of the seven churches there in Asia, which is modern-day Turkey, found in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. But even Jesus said this. And, and uh, early on, as I was a believer, I, and ever since then, I've generally been able to see with my own eyes, Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. And for the most part, every now and then, there's a Judas that fools everybody. But that's the rarity. For the most part, you do know people by their fruits. And you know ministries by their fruit. Amen? Amen? For the most part. I mean, again, there's exception to every rule. And that's why, again, we leave all things in the hands of God. But this is true of an individual. It's also true of a church body. If the body... Is full of. If you go to a place and you say, "Wow, this this body of believers is full of gossip, it's full of disunity, it's full of grudges, it's full of unforgiveness, it's full of lukewarmness." Wow, they love material possessions, but not much love for Jesus. Which, by the way, Laodicea had that problem, right? They they love they love possessions, and they were very lukewarm. So Jesus rebuked Laodicea for that. You can go to a place that, wow, this, this, this is not even scriptural. This is either false teaching or diluted where there's just certain things they won't even touch. That would be like Pergamos. Jesus taught about Pergamos. Uh, they were teaching false things. Sexual immorality and worldliness. Hey, there's a really permissive sexu- sexuality. There's all these things, issues. Thyatira. Or a fixation with the church's own name, Sardis. And Jesus said they were dead as a doornail. He said they were a corpse. And they had the most active name. They had the logo everyone knew. <laughs> had more stuff going on, biggest staff, biggest everything. And Jesus said, dead as a corpse. That was Sardis. So again, activity doesn't mandate what it really is. It's, it, if it's a work of the Spirit, the fruit will be humility and gentleness and love and souls being saved and these kind of things. But if these things and others are that are opposite of both the nature and teaching of Christ are the fruit of a church body. In other words, there is gossip, tons of it, and there is, I mean, because no one's perfect. I'm not saying that. We had, everyone in this room has one time been guilty of gossip. More than once, I would say. Yeah, so, uh, everyone. But I'm saying for the most part, uh, if a church, what, what keeps coming out are these things, then we can know that it's a work of the flesh, not a work of the Spirit. And obviously, 
those churches that Jesus rebuked, they were not following the word of God, and hence they were producing the same dead fruit as the world, which is why Jesus was rebuking them in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And, w- and when Jesus rebukes the church, it's worse what is in the church if it looks just like the world, because the Bible calls that hypocrisy, right? Because the world doesn't claim to be a follower of Christ. But when we claim to be a follower of Christ and look just like them, the world sees it and they mock it too. And you and I have all had the person say, I'd love to go to your church, but there's too many hypocrites in the church. I'm like, are all y'all paid to say that? And I'm trying to, you know, you start to realize, like, is there like a talk track that everyone gets now that's not born again yet to hear that? They, like, where did you learn to say that? Because, uh, but they have seen some things that, that, that would be uh, along those lines. They have seen some hypocrisy or they've been hurt by uh, people that said they're really believers. And so uh, on one sense, we certainly can understand that. And Jesus hates hypocrisy. He wants us to be authentic and our followers of him. Um, I haven't told this in a while. I told it in the first service. Uh, I haven't told it in a while. I know I've told it here probably more than I think I have. I've probably told it like five times. Well, maybe I've told it like eight times, and I thought I've told it like four times. But anyway, I haven't told it in a while. But it, it, and a lot of you are newer because the Lord keeps bringing newer people every six months or whatever. But, but it forever made an indelible per, uh, impression upon me because I was very new in the faith uh, that the world is watching us. Uh, and he's watching believers in the church. Uh, th- they see the authenticity of our faith. They see the genuine faith, uh, and they see the work of the Spirit in us, even if they don't say anything to us. Sometimes people are watching you when you don't realize they're watching you. Mm-hmm. But every now and then, they will say something. And they'll say something that actually affirms what maybe God is doing in your life. And again, my apologies for those of you that heard this, but I will... I'll retell it for those that um, haven't. So when we were still living in South Florida, we were still living in the Miami area where we, me and my wife got saved uh, there in 1995. And uh, I'd only been saved for about a year and a half, so it was probably like 96, 90, you know, somewhere in there, 1996 or so. And uh, I was wrapping up. Uh, my wife was always, had already finished her master's degree. I was still working. I changed majors like four times, finishing my bachelor's degree. But I was working at a health club down there. And I'm working at a health club, and I had like six guys that I worked with in uh, a pretty big club, but our group, there was about six or seven of us that worked there. And it was like the United Nations, the seven of us. Then uh, not only uh, United Nations, of like we're all from different places, different ethnicities, all that stuff, but they all had just different gifts, gifts and talents, and they're kind of... And they, everyone had their little niche. Like, you know, one guy was mixed martial arts. Uh, the other guy could lift more weights. The other, this one guy was the best looking of the bunch. <laughs> and, he, and he was a Jewish guy, real tan, real fit, looked really good, always had a new girlfriend and stuff. And I was the born-again guy because uh, I wasn't like a year and a half before. I used to be just like him. I'd party the same way, but I had become born again. So I'm the odd one. But we would go out and throw the football together and talk and everything. There was a lot of things we could connect on. But I would slip in Jesus and, why don't you come to church? And you need to do that. Why would you do that? And all that's kind of stuff. Here I am. And the one guy, um, the ladies' man, uh, he, uh, he comes in one morning and he says to me, he goes, you know, uh, last night I was on the phone with this new girl that I've been dating for like three weeks. I think he had mentioned her before to me. But he's like on the phone with her. And it was about two in the morning. And she says to me, I need to get off the phone. And he goes, why? And kids back then, we talked on the phone. Um, 
uh, we had these wraparound cords, and <laughs> you would lay on the ground, and you would talk till 2 or 3 in the morning if you were in love or whatever else. So he's talking to her like 2 in the morning. She's like, I got to get off the phone. I got to go to church tomorrow. And, he, and he's like, why do you got to go to church? And she goes, because I'm a Christian, and sometimes I go to church. He goes, hold on, hold on. He, time out. He's like, I know a Christian. You are not a Christian. Now, he was an atheist Jewish guy telling her, I know a Christian, and you are not a Christian. She was so offended, she hung up the phone on him. So he comes and complains to me, and I was like, I never told you to tell her that. I never even told, I didn't even know you were dating a girl who was a Christian. I didn't even know you were dating her. I mean, you might have told her, I, I didn't tell you to tell her that. He goes, well, she's not. I mean, you, you tell us about Jesus, so she does, she does the same stuff I do. So I, but the point is, now, I don't know what happened after that, but I know she got a wake-up call from the Lord. So uh, if she wasn't, a Lord, uh, wasn't following the Lord. But, um, but over the years, I've had other situations. I had a chance to work in corporate America like 15 years. And, and I've, I've had other opportunities where people are watching you whether you realize it or not. And so you want to live in such a way that our witness is a, a witness to a lost and dying world. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they would see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And this was absolutely the case with the apostles. Uh, the light of the Holy Spirit was always shining through them. Miracles were taking place through them. But equally was their love and compassion. Remember for the lame man, they, they saw the lame man. A lot of people walk right past lame people, but they saw the lame man. They had a love and a compassion not only for him, but for others, and they had a love and compassion for people needing a touch from God, and their love for Jesus and for souls and to preach the gospel was even at their own peril. They realized that when they said, you killed Jesus, they could be dead themselves that same day, uh, but their love for their brothers and sisters and their Jewish brethren there in Jerusalem uh, that had come to faith, uh, and they set examples for those in the church, both inside the church and outside the church, in prayer and reading the word and just being faithful. Additionally, we know that the apostles, these men, were filled with the Holy Spirit. And we know they were continually being filled. And by the way, you and I need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not so much, I, had, I was talking to someone after the first service, the baptism of the Holy Spirit can happen by praying and ask for it, but it's happened to many believers who didn't even ask for it. They were just so in love with God, God gave them the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is more, it's not so much of you getting more of the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit getting way more of you. That's the way it works, that he gets a lot more of you. And he had all of the apostles, because remember, he didn't have all of Peter the night Peter denied him three times, right? Later, he has all of Peter. And having all of Peter is a big difference, because God is obviously uh, just pouring out the power of the Spirit into Peter's life. But they were being refilled, and the presence of God was upon them. And it wasn't a one-time thing, and it's not a one-time thing with you and me. Uh, even as I, I know, as I'm taking the next three weeks off, God's telling me to go rest. But he'll refill me in rest times, but he also refills me when I have no time to rest. How about you? There's times we have zero time to rest, and you've got to be refilled because you say, I'm going to get three hours sleep, and I can be right back at this. You need refilling in both places, in both cases. But the, uh, the Spirit was not a one-time thing. He was refilling them. But all Jerusalem could see that they were walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, and yet they had a humility. And how do we know they were walking in humility? Well, because they weren't trying to build empires. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
They weren't trying to collect stuff. They weren't trying to have titles. That would be Annas and Caiaphas. They, if you got near their empire, they wanted you dead. And instead of building up themselves, the apostles were building up other people, and they were serving others as Jesus had taught them. They were washing feet. And as souls came to faith, the souls that were coming to faith were joyfully and willingly, because you don't want to, those of you the parents, you don't want your kids to love you forcefully. I'm going to force you to love me. You, know, you want them to willingly, but joyfully and willingly, they were following Jesus and following the path that the, the apostles had set. They were following that example. And may the Lord give us in this church and in the body of Christ around the world, may he give us men and women that none of us are perfect. We're certainly not perfect. I'm not, you're not, but lives that are worthy of the gospel. I'm glad that there's people in my life that have encouraged me over the years that I know they're not perfect, but I know they're faithful examples. You've met Sam. He's one of them that I know he's been used mightily in my life. He, Sam's not perfect, but he absolutely has been a faithful example and someone who walks in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we need uh, God to give us men and women that we can uh, really be encouraged by, lives that are filled with the Holy Spirit, that are encouragement to our own faith. Back to verse 32. Look at verse, we covered verse 31 last week. That's where the whole place was shaken, filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 32, now the multitude of those who believe were of one heart and one soul, neither did anyone say any of the things that he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Um, with the Holy Spirit shaking the prayer meeting back in verse 31, uh, once the Holy Spirit had come and shaken that place, and refilled the apostles and refilled the disciples with the Spirit and the renewed boldness that they received in verse 31 that we covered a week ago. And then these 5,000 that, just before that, the 5,000 new souls that had come to Christ, we see that's a beautiful and amazing testament to what only God can do. God's the only one that can get one soul saved, much less 5,000. He's the only one that can shake the building. He's the only one that can fill the apostles with the Holy Spirit. He's the only one that can fill you and I with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we talked about this um, uh, at our just one day offsite. the fact that all the things that God gives us are only things that we can receive. Uh, for example, you and I do not produce oxygen, we only receive oxygen. We produce carbon dioxide, which the plants seem to love. But uh, uh, we don't produce oxygen, we produce carbon dioxide. We receive oxygen. Matter of fact, if you're not uh, getting enough oxygen, someone will put one of these things on your face, right? And you have to receive it. Uh, force, you know, get you extra oxygen. Well, the same is true. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives us peace and joy and contentment and faith and love. We receive those things from the Spirit. So it's God that's doing the amazing work here in the church. But what began with, um, if you go back to the cross, because all of, even from the cross till here is not a long period of time. Not, it's, it's a matter of months, uh, but if you go back to the agony of the cross and what the seeming defeat of Jesus on the cross, and you had 11 scared, confused disciples, and then you had a group of weeping women that were very distraught, and they were headed to the tomb. Uh, they were all de devastated, the, the whole group of them. But coming out of that with the resurrection, uh, that you had 120 believers gathered by prayer, by faith, they were gathered there to just um, wait on the Lord. And then shortly after that, 
you get Pentecost and 3,000 come to Christ, and then shortly after that, another 5,000. Again, there's a debate, was it 2,000 more? I think it was five. But uh, 5,000 more that are equally convinced that Jesus is the Lord and King and the Savior that they needed. So the, the 8,000 plus. But when God saves souls, no, no matter their background, whether it's two disciples or 5,000 or 8,000, doesn't matter. No matter the background, every disciple is given the same Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Nobody gets a different Holy Spirit. Everyone gets the exact same Holy Spirit. The same will of God is implanted in us. Not the exact same gifts, talents, or the exact same uh, operation within the body, but the same Holy Spirit. And the Scriptures makes it clear that when we receive the Holy Spirit, we become new creations. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. And that means you have new priorities. You have new cares. You have new desires. Remember the, the, seven, the six other guys I was working with, the, the only difference between me and them is their desires hadn't been changed. We had all the... Uh, we, lived, we liked the same food. We all liked food. We liked the same stuff to talk about if it was sports. We liked the same fitness thing, all that stuff. The only thing we didn't care the same about was about Jesus and about sin and about what it means to live a righteous life. But as soon as if any of them got saved, and I believe that one of them, I think, ended up getting saved and called me like five years later from Tennessee, he had come to know the Lord. Amen. So that's pretty cool, you know. So, but then things start to change. And he was an alcoholic of, of the group. So, um, but the only thing that we all can count on is that we get the same exact Holy Spirit, which changes all of us. But that same indwelling spirit gives us the same heart and it gives us the same desire. And these 5,000 souls go from not believing in Jesus to being grafted into the same unity and oneness. It's hard to make 5,000 people have one heart mm -hmm. and one mind. Mm -hmm. We can't have Congress have <laughs> one heart and one mind. That's way less than 5,000. Uh, but to make 5,000 people who have one heart and one mind, but that was seen in the 120. It was seen in the 12 before the 120. And it was all because as they waited on the Holy Spirit, they received the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit brings that unity. And by the way, this is what Jesus prayed for in John 17. Remember in John 17, he said, Father, I pray that they would be made one, even as you and me are one, that the Father would make them one. Instead, what we often see in the American church, um, instead of this oneness, is a small percentage of believers that are walking in unity with the Lord and are disciples of Christ. And then we see a, large, a, a larger percentage in the churches in this country anyway that have priorities and desires that align much more with the world or the American dream than the kingdom of God. But these 5,000 souls, they had been radically changed by God from the inside out. That's the only way to change a soul is from the inside out. They've been radically changed and in unison without anyone having to tell them to do this. They weren't told. We, I told the first service, there was nobody, there's nowhere in Scripture that we see that the apostles were saying, you guys should sell all your stuff and lay it at our feet. That, all their messages were about Jesus, the resurrection, and the Word of God. People on their own had this conviction, so they were uh, in unison. The Spirit had given them the same immediate heart and understanding 
the Spirit told him shortly after being saved. I don't know how fast, if it was 10 minutes later, if it's a day later, but all 5,000 of them, including in the previous 3,000 plus, we can see that it says they were of one mind and one accord. The entire group had come to the recognition that people are more valuable than possessions. The whole group. People are more valuable than possessions. You know why we see people walk into stores and murder clerks? For like a handful of cash? Because they believe possessions are more valuable than people. Crazy, isn't it? People are way more valuable. You know why we abort so many babies in this country? Because things are way more important than people, than souls. That souls, these, these early believers, they knew that souls were more valuable than stuff. Notice Luke's wording. He said, uh, those who believed. We're called believers for a reason. You either believe what Jesus says and then follow it, or you really didn't believe it to begin with. Those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. goes on in um, verse 33. Uh, and by the way, um, they knew that they now belong to Jesus. And because they belong to Jesus, they believed everything else they had belonged to Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 6.20, it tells us, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Can you imagine if every single believer thought that their time actually belonged to God? You know, I'm really busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. I can't do that. I, I'd love to help you, Lord, but I just don't have the time. Or their possessions, time or possessions, or time and possessions, because it all belongs to God. Imagine if everyone believed that all of these things belong to God. Verse 33, now it switches back to the kind of uh, how the apostles continue to operate. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. The apostles, filled with the power of the Spirit, they just continued... Consistency equals maturity. They continued to faithfully teach and preach the Word of God and do it with power. This ties back to verse 31 because they were filled with the Spirit. They spoke the Word of God with boldness. They continued to be witnesses of the resurrection. Uh, this is both um, the witness of the resurrection. No matter how long you've been saved, you should become continually amazed that Jesus rose from the dead. Because if His resurrection is real, then any other miracle you need in your life, he can still do. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Because the resurrection, that's why we sing about resurrection power. You can have resurrection power on a Monday, on a Tuesday, and not just on Easter Sunday, right? Yeah. So in other words, the resurrection has to be pervasive in your 365 thinking. Say, Lord, every day, thank you that you conquered sin, death, and the grave. So they would continue to preach the resurrection because that's why we take the Lord's Supper and we remember what Jesus has accomplished both on the cross, but also that he's conquered sin and death for all eternity. And this continually teaching this again and again is both teaching and building up the new believers, and not just that, the whole counsel of God. We know that Acts chapter 2, they stayed in the Apostles' Doctrine, which is all Genesis through Malachi, plus the teachings of Jesus. But the resurrection is central to it all, because if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, then none of the scriptures matter. But if he is raised from the dead, all the scriptures matter. And of course they do. Uh, but, he, but by the apostles continuing to preach 
the witness of the resurrection and preaching Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that is building up the new believers. But guess what the resurrection is always, always going to be? It's always a witness to the non-believers that they need to come to the resurrected Jesus. And uh, when I'm in this church, when I come here Sunday morning, it doesn't matter, I, am, I prepare my studies throughout the week that I'm preaching 90% of me, maybe 80 it depends. But somewhere and somewhere between 80 to 90% of me is preaching to believers. Because the body of Christ is to build up the, and edify the saints that you would go out and be lights and witnesses when you are, like I was, in a health club or you wherever you work now or wherever, wherever we go. It's, and then when I walk out of these doors, I'm the reverse. I'm about 90% people out there don't know Jesus' mindset, but if I meet a believer... I'm not trying to recruit them to Calvary Chapel. I'm just trying to help them be built up in the faith. Hey, go surf wherever you go to church and do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm thinking reverse. Here, I'm thinking 80, 80% of my mindset is I'm teaching to believers that we would all grow in the faith. But I also have a 10 to 20% mindset. But if there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus, I got saved at a church. That today could be the day. When I go out there, I'm thinking, all right, most people I run into don't know the Lord. And so I need to be ready to be given an answer for the reason for the hope that lies within me. So I hope that makes sense. But the resurrection makes central, remains central to the believer and also as a witness to the non-believer. Both are equally important. And it says great grace was upon them. Uh, Luke putting great and grace beside each other. Great grace. It, um, the, the apostles had this, we knew that they had the power of God upon them. But here he says, not only was the Holy Spirit's power upon them, but great grace. It means great favor. An exponential amount of God's favor was upon them. It's kind of like uh, to put great and grace together, the two Greek words, if you look them in the Greek, it, it, in my mind, it's like standing under Niagara Falls of grace, right? You're just being constantly just overpoured with God's grace. Wouldn't you want that much grace this coming week? Just standing under Niagara Falls of grace. Just nonstop great grace, not only great power, but great grace was upon them. Uh, and a shield about them, no doubt, a peace within them, a joy exuding from them as they put God first. So important in our life, too. God first, people second, themselves and possessions last. You know, joy, Jesus, others, you, that kind of. And God will take care of you when you put him first and think about and praying for others. Now, he, you still have to care for yourself, but you don't live for yourself. Big difference. All of us have to care for ourselves, but not live for ourselves. We're living for him and to wash feet as the apostles were doing that. Verse 34 and 35, um, moving right along. Verse 34, nor was there, he switched, Luke switches back to, uh, so in the he inter, quick little interlude there, verse 33, how the apostles continued to be the teachers and the preachers uh, among uh, that group. But then he goes back to verse 34. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, now looking at the kind of uh, the, the makeup of the whole body of believers, nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all who were possessors of lands or houses or stocks. Now, that, 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 that would be today. Uh, I threw that in there just to kind of like understand, because today it would be things like that. Uh, houses, lands, sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them, verse 35, at the apostles' feet, and they distributed them as anyone had need. Uh, verse 32 starts out with that 
uh, that oneness, the hearts and souls that were in unison uh, via, the, via the salvation work and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that came to each believer. But they, <coughs> with the Holy Spirit, they came to believe that whatever they had, if they had a small amount, that belonged to God. If they had a medium amount, it belonged to God. If they were actually really rich like Joseph of Arimathea, all belonged to God. <coughs> and that who they were belonged to God, and whatever stuff they had belonged to God. And not only that, that it was now God's to use. Um, I'm thankful that there are some wealthy believers. How about you? Uh, if you've read biographies of men like D.L. Moody or Hudson Taylor, you'll find that some godly Wealthy people financed and got them all over the world with the gospel. So I don't begrudge that God gives some people wealth and not everybody wealth. If they love the Lord, praise God for some wealthy people that say, you know, if Hobby Lobby's owner wanted to get, and he's done a lot of really good things, wanted to bless people and bless ministries, that's really cool. Uh, But most people aren't in that boat. Most people don't have that, but they still have to become givers whom uh, uh, Jesus had given, it will be given unto you. But they had this mindset that the Holy Spirit gave them that, hey, everything I have belongs to the Lord regardless of where they were at on the economic spectrum. Uh, the Greek tense does not indicate here that everyone at once sold everything and they put it in one gigantic commun- uh, communal pile. Um, it indicates that as needs became evident, as they popped up, uh, we had one this morning, Jaden needs to get to uh, New Mexico. It's a need that is now. It'll be a different need 12 months from now. When Lee and Zach come, it'll be a different need then. And I, by the way, I didn't time this text with any of this. This has all happened. I didn't even find out till a week ago that I was actually putting that up there. I didn't even know that the Guatemala team would land on this text and that, you know, all of it. And Lee and Zach would give me a note and say, yeah, and you've got to announce it before August 1st. Really? I got to fit that? Okay, I will do that. So that's all the Lord. But all of these things, they, it became evident to them that as various believers would have needs, that they would be compelled to make willing, willing sacrifices to offer to help their brothers and sisters. The apostles were not, there's no, like I said, there's nowhere we see the apostles saying, you guys should sell your land, you guys should do this, you guys should do that. People heard from the Lord on their own and did these things. There was none of the apostles said, hey, call this 1-800 number and we'll send you a handkerchief and it'll be blessed by us. You ever seen this on TV? I mean, the apostles didn't do any of this stuff. It was a work of the Spirit and God was moving in people. Uh, Now, it's also clear that where there were complex needs, the apostles helped determine the distribution. And what I think is cool about that is the people trusted the apostles. Uh, I don't know about you, I, can, I, can, I do know this about you. I am positive all of you would trust Peter, Paul, and John if you gave them a gift Amen. to do right things. Because you know, you now know they're in heaven with Jesus. You know they're going to sit on one of the 12 thrones. You know that they proved or lived a faithful life. There are people on this earth that I have met only a handful of times I would give the key to my house to. Amen. And there are some that I would never, <laughs> ever give the key to my house to. How about you? Uh, there's people I've met in this church, and I only got you a little bit. I, I trust you with it. I say, hey, anything you need, I trust you. And other people say, not in a million. You can save, maybe. I can watch you for a year. But it is, <laughs> until that happens. But the people trusted the apostles. They had seen them live their life. So they, when, when it was really complex, 
We trust it with Congress. We just know they're going to do the right thing, right? <laughs> we just know when we give it to them, they're going to know how to distri distribute it just exactly the way it's supposed to be done, right? <laughs> of course not. But the apostles could be trusted, and they could put it at their feet, and these men were not money-motivated. They were God-motivated. Uh, and this only worked. This only worked because everybody there was filled with the Holy Spirit. As soon as you have a little leaven in there, the whole thing starts to break down. Uh, but virtually the entire church was filled with the Spirit, which is a unique time in the history of the church. By the way, there was a pastor, and I'm going to put up on the screen in just a second. His name was Effie Marsh. Uh, he was a pastor and a minister in England in the late 1800s into the early 1900s. He died in 1923. Uh, but what he observed in the church there in England and, and greater London, he decided to rephrase, and he preached it, one, uh, he preached it or then uh, wrote it into one of his uh, uh, materials. Uh, but he rephrased Acts chapter 4, 32 to 35, to kind of reflect the heart of the church there in London in the late 1800s. I'll put it up on the screen. It sounds a whole lot like America today, and this is what he said to kind of rephrase verses 32 through 35 to reflect London's believers at the time. And the multitude of them that professed were of hard heart and stony soul. And everyone said that all which he possessed were his own. And they had all things that were in the fashion. We don't talk like that today, by the way. <laughs> and with great power gave they witness to the attractions of this world. And great selfishness was upon them all. And they were... Um, uh, they were, there were many among them that lacked love, for as many as were possessors of lands bought more, and sometimes gave a small portion thereof for a public good, so that their names were heralded in the newspapers, and distribution of praise was made to everyone according to as he desired. They didn't hold back back then. You know, he just like, this is what I see in the believing church in London in that time. We see a lot of that today. And the, Lord, the Lord wants us to have soft hearts not, and, and not build bigger bigger barns and more stuff. I, I'm glad I don't, I, I used to, had I stayed in my prior career, I missed the greatest earning years of my life. I left at 40. And so 40 to 54, I, I, that 14 years, the people I left behind have earned a lot in the last 14 years. I mean a lot in the market, the companies, our stock, like, went six times what it was and everything else, but I could care less. I don't know about you. What are you going to do? You know that none of that belongs to you. How do you know? When you die, how much of it are you taking with you? <laughs> Zilch! Right, right, right. And you can't take a clock either. So in other words, your time. You can't take the money. You can't take the time. Uh, but God wants us to have soft hearts. And not just this, this particular text is speaking about the generosity of the believers and how they cared for others that didn't have anything and they wanted to make sure that the whole body uh, was taken care of. But by the way, this is not in any way a form of scriptural, uh, scripturally uh, sanctioned communism. Uh, you know, and there's been at times where Christians around in the last 2,000 years have set up little communes that they took this passage that if we all just throw everything in a pot... Uh, and then everyone became lazy. It's just none of it ever works that way either. It has to be a work of the Spirit uh, because communism always ends up in misery and it ends up with a dictatorship of either one or a small group running everybody. And that's not of the Lord either. 
Uh, communism is to take from everybody, whether they like it or not, you're all contributing. And then the ruling authorities, be it like uh, the dictator in Korea or the Chinese Communist Party, they will decide to allocate it as they wish. And strangely enough, they allocate a lot to themselves. Uh, Congress does this now. They go in with like, no money. They come out worth millions. The same thing is happening uh, today. But the reason why communism doesn't work because it's godless and it ends up in tyranny. So this is not communism. This has to be people-led. You know, we don't even pass an offering plate here. I have people say, do you even take one? We have a box there, a box there. We do believe that everyone is called to be uh, a giver, and tithes and offerings are in the Scripture, but we don't hammer that. We want people to know, yeah, I know God has given to me, I want to give back. Uh, but this is all the result of redeemed souls willingly, not forced. Uh, they're having hearts of compassion that is coming from a love of Jesus within them. And sadly, we'll see in chapter 5 uh, that that will begin to change because eventually sin does creep in. Dr. J. Vernon McGee points out, uh, related to the church's uh, original tight unity and oneness and their free will giving of anything. They would outgive, kind of like when the people gave so much to Moses, they had to tell them to stop giving. They'd give more than the tabernacle needed. Uh, but that this oneness and this generosity and this clinging to the gospel and this love that was displayed by the church in Jerusalem to one another, it sadly doesn't last long in chapter 5, and we'll see this when we get there. He said this did not last very long. Carnality soon, or carnality came into the church very soon. And we already have carnality in the church. We just want God to purge it out. <laughs> we don't have to wait. We don't have to wonder. I wonder if carnality will ever come in here. No, it's already here. Uh, it's in all of us to some degree, right? So we have some areas of carnality that actually pull us away. We're asking the Lord to expunge it out, to actually clean us out. And that's why it's a refilling that we need. Last two verses, 36 and 37. And Joseph who was uh, also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement. What a, what a name. It's even capitalized in your Bible. Son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it um, at the apostles' feet. These last two verses, so Luke the physician introduces us to Joseph. Uh, he exemplifies, Joseph exemplifies the compassionate and giving spirit of the church at this very new time when the whole church had this overflow of the Holy Spirit and they all had this desire to see souls saved but they also had this tremendous giving heart. They just didn't try and hold on to things. They weren't trying to uh, plan to the nth degree for their future. They were actually just trying to hasten the return of Jesus. And so he was a Levite uh, which was the priestly tribe. And typically Levites did not own things. The, the, the God's design with the 11 tribes would, that they would always be kind of uh, earthly renters, if you will, and that they were given gifts and offerings and they were not to own anything. But uh, much had changed in, in, in the intertestamental period. And, uh, but he came from the island of Cyprus. You've probably seen that on the map. It's uh, right there in the Mediterranean Sea, pretty, pretty good-sized island. He evidently had quite a bit of land, had quite a bit of wealth. And as best we can tell, after coming to faith in, in Jesus Christ, uh, he sold his property, and the best we can tell, he gave all of it. He laid it all at the apostles' feet how, and to use however they saw fit. Uh, he totally trusted them. He saw the Spirit of God on Peter and John and the apostles. And it appears that the apostles are the ones that name him Barnabas, because it says uh, right there in the text, um, 
He was named by the uh, named Barnabas by the apostles. Remember how in the Old Testament, God would a lot of times give people a new name, and uh, you know your name is going to be nope. You're no longer Jacob. You are now Israel, and you're not a Abram. Now you're Abraham. And God would name, and the apostles kind of follow. They say, "This guy is such an encouragement to us. We're going to name him son of encouragement." Like. Who does? Who sells everything they have and puts it all at our feet and trusts us to kind of do the right thing with it, which obviously they do, uh, or they wouldn't be the apostles. But Judas would, you, could, you couldn't have done this with Judas. If you just sold everything and gave it to Judas, Judas would say, Judas, why do you have a Ferrari all of a sudden now? Why do you have all these things now? Uh, so you could trust them, but they call him son of encouragement. Aren't you glad that some people, now forget the fact that Barnabas sold everything, some people, just their life is an encouragement. Yeah. There's people that if they never gave me a penny or bought me a Starbucks, just being around them is an encouragement. And God wants all of us to become sons and daughters of encouragement, yeah. that we'd be the kind of people that would encourage each other. And so he don't, he's not just a man that you don't name him son of encouragement if it's just because he sold everything one time. Uh, it's obvious that he encouraged people. And we see this later on in his ministry. You're going to see... Barnabas when he uh, when he goes uh, and teams up with Paul and you have Paul and Barnabas together uh, he was just generous with not just his possessions but generous with encouragement generous with building people up his life itself was a gift to the apostle a gift to the church I can't wait to meet Barnabas I'm sure you guys will have a good time talking to him when you get to heaven as well uh, but as we come to a closure what about us what would be written of us what does the world see in us? Would they call you son of encouragement or son of depression? Uh, you know, what, what, what does the world see in you? Would they call you daughter of peace or daughter of chaos or whatever it is? I mean, what does the world see in us? Uh, what does Jesus see in us? Individually as a church, does he see us as spirit-filled? Does he see lukewarm? Does he see us as selfless and giving or selfish and reluctant? Sharing the gospel or hiding the gospel? One spirit or divided? Uh, close and growing even closer in love and involved. You've got to be involved in each other's life, which sometimes gets messy. Or distant and detached, because if I'm distant and detached, I don't have to worry about messy. But Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When you go into work on Monday and you say, they ask you, what I, I used to get this quote, what did you do? Well, I was at church and I got to bless this person. They don't want to hear it that long, but they know it's not their lifestyle, right? That loving one another and caring for one another. And the Spirit-filled church, as we come to a close, the Spirit-filled church, we know it's a great witness to the world, but it's also a great benefit and help to us internally because we see each other's needs and without anyone forcing we willingly meet each other's needs. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again this morning for your word, which is living, which is powerful, which is manna for our souls. And Lord, we, we know that we cannot produce these kind of uh, character attributes that we see in the apostles any more than they can produce them or could produce them. But they receive them by the work of the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, but, but just surrendering themselves. And Lord, as we surrender ourselves, we pray that you would make us more faithful, more loving, more generous, more giving, more compassionate to those that are lost and without Christ, more 
sensitive to needs, and Lord, that you would make us of one heart and one mind. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand as we close in worship?